Welcome to the Zero Trust Architecture and the Federal Government podcast series hosted on Government Technology Insider. I'm your host, Matt Langan. Defense and intelligence agencies are developing an understanding of what Zero Trust Architecture is and how to integrate it within their organizations. With recent government mandates, it's important to understand the key principles of Zero Trust so that agencies can meet these mandates. And by educating the workforce, the warfighter, and collaborating with other agencies, the defense and intelligence communities can be better prepared to deploy Zero Trust architectures. And in this episode titled Demystifying Zero Trust for the DOD and the IC, we are speaking with Wes Withrow, who's a public sector solutions executive with Verizon, and Patrick Perry, who's a senior director of strategic initiatives DOD and IC focused at Zscaler. More about this topic. And Wes and Patrick, thanks for joining us today. Appreciate you having me. Sure thing. Yeah, yeah, let's go ahead and kick it off and let's start at the top with the challenges. So what are the challenges really that the DOD and the IC experience with respect to securing their infrastructures these days? And we'll start with Wes on this one. Yeah, so really, Matt, there's kind of two key challenges and they're not kind of mutually exclusive of one another. But the first one is just determining how to securely connect remote users to applications hosted both in the cloud and on-premise, right? So we've got on-premise connectivity done pretty well. It's been the cloud connectivity and getting those secure connectivity in place that's been kind of the prominent of that example. And then the second part, and this is probably the most important one, which is determining how to integrate these new cloud-native security controls in parallel with a lot of the pre-existing on-premise security controls. Like an example of that is agencies that are coming to us and saying, hey, we've got data loss prevention on-premise right now, but we're also now, you know, with security service edge being available, how do we actually do this both in the cloud and on-premise? So again, those are kind of two of the key challenges with that latter of the two being kind of the most prevalent, which is the integration and running in parallel pre-existing security control with new cloud native ones. Excellent. Thanks, Wes. Appreciate those insights. Patrick, anything to add to that one? Yeah, Wes is spot on. What I'll add to it is obviously, I think that both of these very, very large federal agencies are also struggling with how do we operate and maintain such large environments at the speed of the enemy? Because this is not something you can just take at a leisurely pace and optimize when you see fit. You have to stay ahead of the threats and they're working every day to be ahead of you. The second part is, again, modernizing processes and policies to also take advantage of these technologies. As Wes pointed out, there's so many more options now, and a lot of them are, are again, these more cloud-delivered and you know more technology-driven and enabled optimization than it is like it used to be. And there's so many policies that are going to have to keep up with that. All right. Excellent. So, you know, lots of agencies are working towards demystifying zero trust architecture. And with that in mind, can you tell us more about zero trust and help us to understand its nuances and differences when compared to other forms of cyber protection? And we'll actually go with Patrick on this one. Yeah, great. So obviously this topic alone could probably be another 20 minutes to an hour. So I'll try to really kind of streamline it and focus in on the what somebody should really be looking for that separates them from the previous security paradigm that we all follow, this whole defense in depth model, and really what Zero Trust is really trying to drive forward to. And, and I think that the new DOD Zero Trust architecture guidance that came out just a, you know recently, 2.0, really kind of focuses in on these principles. 
that you should be able to look across your new security strategy and where you're driving things to. And you kind of have to follow these principles and it kind of creates a yes and no check block. So things like, am I still looking at my environment from a implicitly trusted and an implicitly untrusted environment? Then it's probably not zero trust yet. That was an older model that, you know, people were very accustomed to, but unfortunately didn't keep up with, you know, the evolution of work and all that kind of stuff. Is all my data being encrypted, not just segmented, but is it being encrypted as well at all times, both transit and at rest? And then, you know, just to throw another one out there is, are all my different capabilities that are involved in security working together as almost like a task force, this, you have a synergy kind of creating a one plus one equals three model, or are they all these little stovepipe capabilities that are being ran by different teams? And, you know, just to throw out a, you know, a little small example is, is my identity team really only focused on making sure people have a login and that, you know, again, when an application is being tied to that identity for single sign-on, that yes, you know, it, it works? Or is it really fundamentally tied to the entire stream, the, the networking connection, the endpoint access, and then again, the application, and then feeding into a scene where you have this correlation? And you can walk that all along, you know, all the different things. All right, great insights there. And, and Wes, next question is for you. And Patrick did touch upon this, but would love to hear more. So tell us more about the current guidance and regulations that are out there regarding zero trust that could really help guide the DOD and Intel when it comes to overall adoption. Okay, yeah. It's we're at a good problem right now in the sense that there's guidance that's popping up from everywhere, right? It's popping up from different sources across the DOD and Intel community, right? As well as the federal civilian market. So I'll give you kind of four of them here, right? And the first one, and this is the one you should start with, is the Executive Order 14028. So Executive Order 14028 came out in May of 2021, and this was the presidential thumb stamp of approval on zero trust architecture. So, And the reason why this one's so important is not just the fact that it's the presidential thumb stamp of approval, but it also has a lot of guidance in there on timelines that different heads of agencies have to do. So, for example, it's very prescriptive in the sense it tells you, by this date, you need to do this. And so that's where we started seeing a lot of traction in the market with agencies going, hey, now I have this executive order. Here are the activities I need to get in motion. Help me get there, which is good because prior to the release of the executive order, and I'll give you three examples of different guidance that came out. You had the NIST 800-207, which is the NIST's framework on zero trust. Then you had the DOD zero trust reference architecture. And then following that, you had the Office of Management's budget releasing the memorandum for heads of executive departments and agencies, or OMB M-2209. So those are four good ones to get started with and just keep your eyes open and peeled out for additional ones that now kind of continue to pop up as well, too. Great. Thanks, Wes. So overall, what are some of the challenges of educating defense and intel workforces, including warfighters as well? When it comes to zero trust, and also, what are some of the challenges with the CODA security environments? And we'll start with Patrick on this one. Yeah. So, I mean, taking the first part of the question, focusing on that, I think the hardest part with trying to, again, educating the whole community of interest, not just defense intel, but it, again, even industry, academia, et cetera, is trying to get us all on the same sheet of music. Unfortunately, there's a lot of noise out there. 
you know, zero trust is probably one of the most popular things out uh, being talked about in the information technology world all around. And therefore, everybody wants to be able to tie their story to it. It doesn't matter if it's a research project. It doesn't matter if it's a vendor, if it doesn't matter, you know, it's a customer trying to consume it and do it. There's so much noise. So I would say the hardest challenge right now is trying to tease through that noise. And again, make sure that what people are saying and what you're hearing actually drive value with how you do business. And so, you know, and that can go down a lot of different approaches. I think when it really comes down to warfighters and, you know, educating them is a, kind of to the earlier question is, is really get them focused in on, but what is this different than the last thing we were doing, defense in depth? And where are some baby steps I can kind of measure that success? I'll just really quickly add a couple thoughts on the whole Oklahoma security environments. And that really just comes down to two things. A, it's more of a wild, wild west environment in the sense where there's a lot more threat actors and a lot less, you know, let's just call it U.S. oversight on what might be going out in the greater spectrum, you know, world. But then there's also a lot of policies and regulations that, again, the U.S. does has to follow. Obviously, in times of war, you know, a lot of those kind of things can be kind of tossed to the side if you're in a combat zone. But if you're not, then you have to account for all those different policy regulations and whatnot that your host country could be requesting. All right. Great insight there, Wes. Anything to add to that one? Yeah, me and Patrick got it. I mean, in terms of like just a lot, I mean, step one being just aligning and agreeing on the definitions and vocabulary around what zero trust is and isn't, is that's a great start. And a lot of agencies that we're seeing have the most success in just getting started and you know, particularly on the educational side is just using a consistent kind of repeatable zero trust architecture capability model that you can use right after you've agreed to what the terminology and definitions are to evaluate yourself internally, as well as using that same capability model to provide to your vendors and suppliers. And here's what I mean by that is if you just take the zero trust architecture pillars and picture it like a Jeopardy board where you've got those pillars across the top and then you've got the core capabilities that map up to it. When you're able to define those and then get a consistent model, and you can do this on one slide for that matter, and color code it red, amber, and green. You know, red, you don't do it. Amber, you're partially meeting it. And green, you do meet it. When you can align around some consistent, repeatable capability model, then you're able to have everybody reading off the same sheet of music, whether it's your own internal people, whether it's or your suppliers, to be able to then get it just engaged, right, with these cross-functional teams of stakeholders to help carve out what your priorities are after kind of completing that alignment of the definitions and then going through a capability model creation. All right, excellent. If you don't mind, let's dive into some examples. So if you can share some examples of how zero trust could be implemented within defense and Intel, that would be great. And we'll start with Wes on this one. Okay. And so I'll talk about the defense side. So really, we've kind of seen three kind of main use cases when people are looking at doing implementing zero trust, okay? And it's typically never done in a vacuum, which is a good thing because security has been something that's been kind of dotted line to the left for the longest time. And now what you're seeing is you're seeing defense agencies in particular taking three different use cases and then figuring out how to weave zero trust into those. And those three are cloud migration, so moving from primarily on-premise into the cloud, we're doing network modernization, 
as well as, and we're seeing this creeping up over this last year, is creating these DevOps environments to where they're going, hey, we're started the migration to the cloud. We've started the mic you know, to modernize our network. And that's enabling us to do a lot more agile DevOps environment work. And so that third one is we're seeing a, a pretty big uptick in the defense space in terms of how they're exploring a path to get to zero trust. Excellent. And Patrick would love your take when it comes to examples for the Intel side. Yeah. So I think a lot of them could be used both for DoD and Intel, but for the Intels, and I wouldn't say specifically, but maybe a little bit more prevalent, I would offer two specific examples. The first one is information sharing, intelligence sharing. You know, everybody knows that, again, the intelligence community is not one agency. It's lots of them. They all have their own authorizations and authorities that they operate within. And therefore, they all have different methods of collecting data, um, getting it, working on it. And then, you know, one of the key things, which was called out also in some of the government mandates, is better information sharing. So one of the things that I think there's a huge opportunity is getting away from how, again, we've been doing this information sharing before where we just kind of, you know, merge a couple networks, give a couple people some access, allow some traffic flows to get through. And then, you know, hopefully, hey, the actual data that was supposed to be shared is the only data being shared. Unfortunately, the past has proven that while that sounds great and it works most of the time, any kind of insider threat breaks that model pretty quickly because you don't have that same, you know, again, well-knitted security ecosystem, always talking to each other, always seeing anomalies and reporting on it, et cetera. So that information sharing approach, you know, between agencies, I think is a really ripe case study. The second one is simplifying the easy things. And the easiest thing probably for the IC is just going to the internet. You know, the internet is not usually the biggest part of their work, you know, life cycle in a day, but it is an easy thing that most people have to do. But unfortunately, it's where the majority of risks come from, as well as a lot of your administrative overhead when it comes to operating, maintaining and optimizing, you know, infrastructure and stuff. So when I think of something where, again, the federal civilians agencies have gone towards this whole idea of tick trusted Internet connections, where you know, again, you kind of go through a RAN internet-facing security capabilities. That is another place where Zero Trust, to me, is a real ripe case study because now, again, tying in your analytics, your endpoint, you know, your transport security, your identity, all together and work a little more seamless with a more modern approach that decreases, you know, the total overhead of just the maintenance and the optimization and even, you know, the keeping up with threats. And again, you know, moving towards a more modern approach in a shared service model where, again, cloud is really kind of changing these things. All right. Excellent. And for our last question today is really somewhat future focused, all about next steps. So what are the next steps that the defense and Intel community can take when it comes to zero trust architecture? And Patrick, we'll actually start with you on this one. Great. I love the opportunity to go ahead and steal all the good ideas and you know, <laughs> just kind of, you know, hopefully I don't take them all. But so in all honesty, I think the next steps is really kind of, again, teasing out the noise, getting a little bit more hyper focused. I'm a big fan of the whole idea of OKRs. I know DOD and IC has their own, you know, planning methodologies and they call them, they have their own references to how they plan it. But when you look at like the OKR system, getting a stretch, you know, objective 
of zero trust has to have some of those defining principles, these left and right limits, a bowling lane, bumper pads. It keeps you back in the lane. And I think it's really key that they, you know, all of the agencies within these communities really focus in on kind of clearing to find those left and right limits. And then the second part is getting some key results that you can actually start measuring, not getting ahead of yourself with the idea that, okay, well, hey, what can I just use that I have right now and tweak it a little bit? And maybe it's zero trust enough because that will probably create complacency down the road. But more importantly, hey, where are the things that, yep, when I look at my objective principles by left and right limits, this kind of capability that I have does fit in, but this one doesn't. Here is something that I need to get some kind of proof of concept or proof of value up and running and just start learning. Start taking that chance. Start also identifying those policies that the leadership needs to go after and start manipulating, changing. And finally, the last thing is get strong partners that are future facing and focused. Right now, you know, I think the security community is really kind of all on the same sheet of music that, you know, no one organization or one capability can deliver on everything in security. It's a partner and community-based kind of problem set that we all have to work together. But therefore, picking the right partners and picking that, you know, whether it's, again, academia and that kind of stuff, the ones that are all kind of rowing in the right direction so you can build upon each other, learn from each other, and grow together, I think that's another one of those big steps that everybody needs to take. Excellent, Wes. Any thoughts there in terms of next steps? Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, you know, when we were talking about with customers, because they want to know kind of what three kind of states they can be and they want to know kind of their current mode of operation, what they should do in their interim mode of operation before they go out and start making changes and taking action. And what does the future mode of operation look like? And so right now, the majority of this country is sitting at their own five yard line trying to figure out how to move forward. And so we'll always start with baselining their current mode of operation to a very simple, just zero trust architecture capability model. Talked about that in one of the earlier questions. Still range true, right? Just baseline your current mode of operations because one thing Patrick identified, which we see all the time, is that agencies, once they start going through that and baselining their current mode of operations to a zero trust capability model, they'll realize pretty quickly that they've actually purchased a significant amount of zero trust capabilities without implementing. So there's some things that they can do pretty quick there. Now, again, with that capability model mapping, just do that green, amber, and red. What are you meeting? What are you partially meeting? And then what are you not meeting? And then last and not least, and this really reaches a kind of cross-functionally into the finance side of your organization, in the interim mode of operation, you reach out to your finance team to get the net book value of assets that will likely be displaced or replaced or completely removed as you move to zero trust architecture. Because so much of what we're moving from is hardware-based on-premise types of solutions like your proxy VPN concentrators. Now, in the future, right, as you move to a zero trust architecture, just inherently, you get more software-defined solutions. And then you start to identify, hey, do you have the ability to displace or replace things like this hardware-based proxies in your VPN concentrator? So really one of the big things in the interim mode of operation as you're getting started down this path is to, again, work with your finance team to understand the netbook value of those assets that would likely be displaced. So that way, when you come in and make recommendations for changes in the future to get to that future mode of operation, 
you understand financially the business case behind it to set the stage for these types of changes. It makes it much more cleaner and it also helps from the business side tremendously. All right, great. Well, this concludes the Zero Trust Architecture and the Federal Government podcast series episode titled Demystifying Zero Trust for the DOD and IC. We're Wes Withrow, who's the Public Sector Solutions Executive with Verizon, and Patrick Perry, who's the Senior Director of Strategic Initiatives, DOD and IC, focused at Zscaler, provided insights into the true value of Zero Trust architecture for the DOD and the IC. And Wes and Patrick, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Really appreciate having me.